You are listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. If you are in India living abroad, feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential, this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories. This is your host Ehsan Ali, a long-time IT professional living in Sydney, Australia, who has made it his mission to find and unpack the stories, strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring Indian experts to help you and I reach our full potential. I'm very excited to talk to today's guest Shira Sagar. Shira is currently the chief data officer at a leading financial services company in Australia. What I find fascinating about Shira is he seems to have followed all the principles that I teach in my career strategy workshop and coaching programs. I wish I knew him when I was looking for guidance in building my own career. So without further ado, let's talk to Shira and learn how an engineering graduate developed himself into a thought leader in data management and analytics space. Hi, Shira. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Asan. Very kind of you. Uh, no, finally, we got together. I'm really grateful you made time for this. And very quickly, uh, this is a podcast where we share the stories of people like you, people who are doing well in their career, or they have transitioned into entrepreneurship. So when I got your contact, I saw uh, you're doing really well in your career. And today you are a CDO uh, of a financial services company. Uh, so I'd like to open your story and get to understand where you started, you know, the decisions you have taken, that has worked for you, decisions that have not worked for you, the, the, the learning or the challenges you had to face, the support you got from people, you know, all of those things I want to cover and educate our audience and inspire to build a journey, something like yours. I'll do my best to entertain you as well. <laughs> to entertain us, fantastic. So if you could, uh, you know, talk a little bit about yourself in your own way, I, I think you would do better than I would do. Sure. So I, like you mentioned, I currently am the chief data officer for Latitude Financial. And so the journey to this was mostly, I've always been in the data space uh, ever since I started, graduated out of university. And the reason everyone asks, why did you choose the data space? When I chose to work for a company, it was finally enough, not even a voluntary decision to be in the data space. I really loved math growing up in high school. I had an amazing math teacher and he do this. He did an amazing job of making math more Interesting, interesting, and a math bit more understandable. So he would teach us calculus and say, calculus is such a boring subject, but he would make it sound as if it's so fascinating. He he often said, calculus is the language of gods, and how can seriously? There's <laughs> actually a whole say, group of people who believe that. Like I mean, I I don't mean the gods, gods. It could mean like nature, god, and stuff like that. So everything in the world can be explained through calculus. It beat gravity, beat everything else, and so it's really beautiful. <laughs> I never or, thought that way. No, this is fas- seriously fascinating. Yeah, or be it Poisson process. So you're, you're learning one of the most boring topics, which is statistical distributions, Bible distribution, binomial distribution, Poisson. Yes. He will make every single distribution sound so interesting. So the Poisson process <laughs> is pretty much what happens when you go stand in a bank queue or a burger queue or any queue in the world, because all of them are Poisson processes. Right. And so you need to know which queue to stand in so you can get done faster. Faster, yeah. 
you have to apply your poison theorem your poison process distribution so you know how to find lambda you do that and then you like suddenly you're seeing all of this that's so interesting that's so interesting basically that drove me to want to do a lot of something with math that's what that's pretty much the intention and so when i graduated and found a job the company that i tried to find a job in their tagline was do the math and i'm like do wow. the math. Oh, that's so it all related to what uh, you were psyched up already with yeah. okay. Yes, that's exactly what I want to do. Not not knowing exactly what we, you do with math. Like you wouldn't know you're, I was pretty naive. So I'm like, let's go there and figure out. So it's pretty interesting. We were actually trying to solve problems using statistics back then. There's a lot of, there's not as much data as we have today. There was enough and more data, but a lot of it was doing statistical problem solving. So you have to understand the fundamentals of all the statistical programming and statistical theories. And so it was really fascinating. And it's not just doing the math, but also somebody's life's getting better because you do something on the outcome of that. So that was fascinating. So that's what I've done all my life. And I've picked up skills along the way, trying to do what I do. So when I try to explain what I do for a living, I tell people I am just the lost and found guy. So if you lose something, I'll find it. And I do that with data and technology. So that's who I am. Interesting. So you kind of sold a stem as well to a lot of uh, young generation who are thinking of what can I do? So in the mathematics background and then and now in technology, what was the first job? A typical Indian gets a programmer job to start with when they come in IT. Was so the case for was, you as well? It was a data analyst. Data role. analyst. Yeah, that was the first role. So basically the job was they'd give you data, you'd have to analyze it, figure out where what the patterns are, what the trends are, and then make recommendations on where the gaps are. So the first project that I worked on was back then online was the like all the craze, everyone was applying for insurance claims online. And my insurance first claims. Okay. And my first project was figuring out why are not why are more people dropping off from filing claim online. So I had to look at the data. This was they thought it was a lot of data because it had to fit in four Excel files and not one Excel file because we didn't have one million rows then it was probably hundred thousand rows. So we had to have four files, combine all of them, roll it up, figure out what's happening. <laughs> which page people are dropping off. Now it's all a click of a button, but yeah, no, a long time ago. I was, think you have set the context really well at a rudimentary level, how the whole thing is started. And today it's very advanced and much more complex uh, uh, data and the analysis and the analytics and all of those things. So the at least, did you come from technology background, Shira, or it was more of a business uh, uh, background? What was your no, I majored in computer science, math, okay. and statistics. Okay. So, okay. That was okay. so the data analyst during that time, was it uh, related as an, looked upon as an IT professional or it was more of a, your space was sitting in the business community or it was in IT community? It was mostly in the business community yeah, because so. they were just an extension. So we were thought of as people who are helping say a CMO or True. Uh, uh, somebody else trying to make a decision and you would justify that and help her make a better decision. So that's typically how we work. Yeah. And so we just consulting company, we like give us all the data. We didn't have all this complex technology. And so they'd be like, here, it is an email or a, what was it called? FileZilla or some kind of SFTP. Yeah, yeah I remember that, FileZilla. <laughs> yeah, like here's everything, here's the password, do whatever you want, send back yeah. Yeah. PPT yeah. or... Yeah. An actual file, and so that's yeah. our job. So we just go see another there. interesting thing I picked up from what you just said. So whether we are working in technology or working in business, end of the day, uh, we are serving somebody as a as a customer. And when you said, "Oh, it needs to be head of marketing or head of something," so any role we do, end of the day, 
we are serving a business so whether we are in technology or business it should not matter our intention should always be to ask ourselves how are we serving the the business so that's that's fantastic so from that data analytic thing what was your next uh, uh, leap or next transition into uh, next stage of your career so you do the data analyst role when i joined the company I was fairly young so then immediately in a year and a half you are asked to take care of other new data analysts coming into the business to become a senior analyst senior analyst then you become a senior analyst for a year and a bit and then you're like now you need to manage a small team so you become a, a small manager then you become a bigger manager and a big so that's typically the flow uh, it was interesting too every year you had something to look forward to you had a four five year plan like I'm, i'm working towards it and i know what my goals are and what i do so it was pretty interesting yeah yeah so the more i did that i the interesting bit was i worked across multiple industries i worked for the most like I, it's funny i've worked a lot for retail which everyone which is what i really enjoy doing but i've also worked for insurance i worked for gambling i worked for airways i worked for cpg and i what, worked what what cpg yeah i worked for cpg like the mondelez yeah. i i don't know what cpg is cpg is a uh, consumer packaged goods oh, fmc consumer packaged oh fa okay got it got it kind of a, a part of fmcg yeah and then i worked for media companies and i've even worked for internet giants like tons of weird stuff like microsoft and stuff like it so i've done all kinds of roles which over a period of time what happened was then i eventually moved i was really good at not only solving the problem but also understanding what can be done so i moved from doing this work into pre sales where i'm like i'll not only solve the problem for you but i'll be able to sell why this is the right thing to do and so that i did that for some time so it was pretty interesting so that was pretty much kind of how i did it so can i look at it this way uh, starting with a doer where your job was somebody asked you to do and with your experience and getting across multiple industries talking to different kind of stone, stakeholders and their mindset their thought process their need you're thinking broaden up and you started to move from being a doer or a functional to becoming a thinker or a thought leader where you were able to contribute back to the industry is that the right way of looking at it yeah that's a fair way to hiccups in moving up so i'm a career coach today and i coach a lot of people and most of the hiccups come oh i'm a technical person how can i get into a leadership role why would somebody offer me and i'm afraid i'll fail did you have any one of those kind of thinking or challenges yeah and i think this is something i was thinking about because based on our initial chat yeah <laughs> you, you asked me to think about a couple of things right so the more i thought about it is funny i think when i was an analyst the one i won't probably bore people or even you with a lot of examples right one really stood out for me and that's something i do even today is i was having a, a mid mid year appraisal or an end of year appraisal or something and i was really frustrated because i'd done all of this work Yeah. but then i was given not a great rating or i was yeah. going to put in a different team yeah i just go to my mentor and i'm like this is just not fair and i've done all of this and something that he said maybe very he was very wise or be a wise beyond his age yes he was probably a year or two years older than me and all he said was knowing what you do is not their job it's your job you need to tell them that you've done it so a lot of us are really good at doing but very very bad at showcasing what we can do showcasing and also communicating why what we've done is significant both of that we really when i say we typically some some cultures are really bad at showcasing it they're really good at give you i give you a task you go and get it done but you're like after that i'm done like it's not my job but some people are really good at then taking that work and then packaging it up and then getting all the accolades and so a lot of people just like outsource oh, 
they call it quote unquote politics they call it unfair they call it stealing but mm. at the end of the day somebody is doing it because you are not doing it the person who is actually delivering the work who can do it mm. because they don't do the last mile of packaging it up and showcasing it and explaining mm. value if you never do that you're never going to then get to the next level is what i feel and that's something that's true absolutely and i'll just repeat the last word which uh, uh, i took away is start thinking about the value that uh, is created out of what you do and if that is the thinking then in every conversation you can bring it in mm. you know it doesn't need to wait for the you know 12th month or 6th month every day you do something you while you are going back ask yourself what is the value i've created today and when you meet your colleagues your customers your bosses you can always talk about the value you've been creating rather than i wrote that many lines of code which doesn't make any sense or i worked very hard 18 hours or 14 hours doesn't make any sense unless i say what value i have created and it also you're so right it also helps help you turn up the right way for the job so when you're turning yeah. up the role every day you're turning up for i am this is what my contribution is this is what my purpose is mm-hmm. my purpose is not to just complete three jira tickets and four excel yeah. <laughs> to five this thing that's not that's part of the job the yeah. project do i think if you don't if you're not aware of it people just lose time in just being part of the cog and somebody else is going to the next part the whole pub i'm glad you shared that uh, shira and uh, you are the pr- practitioners and you have grown uh, really well in your career so you know hopefully people pick up that uh, message so while you were growing from analyst to manager and so on and so forth today you are a chief data officer did you have at any point in time where you felt i'm not sure where i'm going uh, i'm not sure what to stage what should be my next move and those kind of problem a lot of people face they feel stuck in where they are in their career and they're not able to take that forward did you have any point in time uh in your career where you felt like i no, sure. i wouldn't i wouldn't say that because for me it is always about pushing the boundary of what i've been asked to do so if i've been asked to do x i'm like i'll do that x but i want to do more than that x so that hunger's always been there i think it's probably what how i was brought up in that initial job yeah so if i was doing a manager role i'm like i'll do that but i want to do other things i will do sales and stuff like that i'm doing that i want to do other stuff and so that has always helped me we have visibility yeah uh, but honestly that kind of a, an existential predicament was probably not there through the through the through those ranks but right now when i do what i do for example i take care of the entire data function for an organization now i'm like what happens next i don't want to do, keep doing the data i'm not a functional leader I want to be bet more than a functional leader and what is that probably what i'm thinking right now so great so let me go back to your pre sales days give, give me some insights of that and then what was the next stage of your growth so in pre sales days very very interesting because conversations i'm not i'm not selling i'm not literally a seller like i'm not trying to sell people what doesn't exist pre sales was rewarding because i'm trying to understand someone's problem i'm trying to quickly solve find out a potential solution to that problem and explaining what can happen and selling them the idea of what the problem is or selling them the dream that is very rewarding and people understand it and then the implementation will happen afterwards which always happens very well so that was very exciting and it you get to learn and meet a lot of people and understand listen to people so basically that's where i heard my key takeaway from it and this is exactly what i'm trying to interrupt you and i know you're trying to say something is what i learned and i'm still trying to learn is come from the school of two years and one mouth hear more and talk less is what you learn in presets okay fantastic and how is that different from sales role in a sales role you get given a target you get given your 
I find sales is one of the most difficult jobs to do. And I'll be honest, why? Because it's trying to get a foot in that door and the door is often shut to you. You're just trying to bang on the door, open the door, have that conversation. That's not what, that, that's probably not my strong suit. My strong suit is once you've opened that door and once you've said, I'll bring someone along and I have a seat on the table, that person is going to explain why we should solve this problem for you. That's where I, that's, that's my skills and I can come in and do that. Like I'll make just do justice to the half an hour or 45 minutes or whatever it is that somebody's gotten me, but getting that initial 30 minutes or the attention for somebody is really hard. And I, I don't think I have that skill yet. Mm. But you said it uh, very well. So uh, pre-sales is not sales. Of course, it's not sales, but it's the demonstration of thought leader, uh, thought leadership where you understand customer's problem so that you can articulate the problem and then also give them solution and options, which a salesperson may or may not have those knowledge because salesperson's skill and mindset is all about how to open the door, how to build relationship, how to close the sale. You know, what's my book value of the year? You know, that's the thing. Thinking is very different from a pre-sales person who's constantly thinking, okay, this is the customer you have brought to me as a salesperson. I need to really understand a bit more about the customer so that I can, once I understand the problem, I can bring in all my experiences and my team's knowledge to give you the right solution or solution options. So, so for people who want to become thought leader in an industry or a specific uh, knowledge area, I think pre-sales is very, very powerful uh, place to be, be for a couple of years. Yeah. And also you get to cut your teeth and understanding and hearing no and knowing what the value of a no is. Because salespeople really know what a value of a no is. They've heard no so many times. They yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. But if you're a doer and you've heard no so many times, you're like, what? why it works? And yeah, it's like, yeah. they're not saying no because it won't work. They're saying no because it doesn't add value to and bring respect to the same conversation, right? It's not just about a piece of technology anymore. It's yeah. about what will that make? How will that make that person look good? Yeah. What is it for them from a political mileage? And so you yeah. started thinking about these other aspects and just other the aspects. Yeah. And uh, as you understand that, I mean, now you are in a, a senior leadership role, now you understand, and of course you build that knowledge throughout, is how important the other aspect of thinking about the other side is rather than thinking about just me and what I'm doing. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. So what happens after pre-sales? When did you move to Australia? Did yeah, you so right, to yeah, right after that is when I moved to Australia. So I got an opportunity to move to Australia and be like, let's try this. It's a new start done what I've done and I want to try my skill again. And so I did all of it all over again here. I started as a data scientist and I got to run a team and then I've joined ran a couple of data science teams and then eventually where I landed up here as a chief data officer. So that's been the journey here. And so oh, here my yeah. focus mostly is on, so back in India, I mostly worked for a consulting company. So that was a different ball game. And here it was mostly working on the client side. So I was not only delivering value, but I was also then on the hook for implementing and actually showcasing the benefit of that value. So it's not just about building, say, a segmentation model. It's about then getting people to use it and appreciate it and then get value out of it. And that's a different learning curve. So mm -hmm. in a consulting job, you know the value with somebody else's job to implement it. Here, it's not just to build it and deliver it, but also be on the hook for it. And that's, yeah. that's, yeah, that's really so good. That's, that's uh, the next level of evolution in a way. Yeah. So consulting, pre-sales, and then got in the industry. So, so when you got in the industry, did you have to deal with the, the, cons the consulting companies and vendors? Yeah, so in my current role, I do deal a lot with them. Not in my previous roles because they were fairly smaller organizations. We probably didn't have enough budget to have consulting companies help with us. But in this role, I definitely work with you. Yeah. 
And how was the journey? How long have you been in Australia, Shira? So I've been there for eight to nine years now. Eight to nine years. How was the how was getting first job like? Do you remember? So interestingly, the first job was because I had done pre-sales for that person. I sold him that he wanted me to come join him in Australia. So that's ah, okay. That was nice. That was nice. And how has been the progress uh, in Australia? Uh, the the jumps that you did was it something you got bored with one thing or you were strategic about what to do next and next to where you are? Funny, I've, I've never. Um, none of my jobs have been through any of the job boards or LinkedIn or anything. All I do is. i do what i do and i go to meet do a lot of meetups and conferences and meet people and in those meetups and conferences you meet people who hear you out and say so every single job i've gotten after that the three are jobs that i've gotten somebody's like it's very interesting i'm trying to build this would you like to come work for me i'm like i'll have a conversation and it looks good yes next person and then this role was more around i know somebody who's looking for new work and i know you've done your job here why don't you go work for that person and so that introduction happened that was interesting so it's mostly that it's mostly people because it's a small organization it's close knit people they've rather trust somebody else's recommendation over a resume and all of that stuff so that's typically i'm very happy you shared that is there anything you can highlight here for the benefit of people who are listening how do you go about this meetups how do you go about being in the conference how do you go about reaching out to right people on those meetups and conferences where these conversations happens and what preparation mental preparation you need to create right Uh, image and right impression on the other person some of those elements what works what doesn't work because a lot of people are struggle in this arena uh, shira so the first thing i'd say is put your hand up and say yes to showing putting yourself out there a lot of people are very shy or reticent and like i i'm not a show person i don't it's it's i think i'll take a cultural thing right we, we don't like to show off humility and all i'm not nobody's asking you to say i'm the greatest person on earth and talk about it Yes. just talk about the work you do and funnily enough and as somebody who now hires for people i see people feel so say so self deprecating that they feel their value they what they do is so boring and simple that anybody can do it but that's not true we, we would pay any kind of money to get somebody like that and that that it's a supply and demand market people don't understand there's always going to be demand and they have the supply and so when you realize that and start putting it for there whatever it is that you're really good at on a consistent basis beat content creation or anything that's one good way to do it and two you will have 100 conversations in the start when you're trying to do it i've never said no to a conversation not because i'm greedy or i want more but just because if you talk to 20 people and everyone would have a proposition only one of that was going to work so not get tired by saying i somebody said go talk to people and all these people are boring and i don't like obviously so you're not going to it's not going to happen that's not the first person that's going to talk to you is give you the best offer and you're going to walk away with it so be willing to do that too and patiently just doing it without any expectation is probably the other thing that i would say yeah, so yeah, putting yeah. yourself out there and not saying no to an opportunity just having that initial conversation and then saying no is fine but initial just considering what it is is probably very important so i think two three stages for individual one is just start to go out and yeah. understand this is a process Yes, you'll suck at it if you're trying to do for the first time. You'll have all those uh, uh, startup say syndrome. What's that called? The imposter syndrome and all of those things if you have never done it. But once you start doing it, it's no rocket rocket science. You're living life, and you can communicate with others. So you can do good networking as well, and eventually things will start to pan out. And then uh, when you go out and you get people like Shira, you get people who are already 
been into uh, these kind of community networking. So you start to learn, you know, you observe others and see how they are doing it. If you're finding it difficult, ask somebody and, and this, this is how it starts uh, happening. And as you rightly said, we have this culture of uh, saying, oh no, I'm going to just do this. I think we need to get over that and start to realize the value uh, that we create. So you know, that was really nice. So what before you got in this role, I also see in last few years, two, three, four years, you have done, I don't know if it was a conscious personal branding or what it was, but you have been recipient of quite a few awards and things like that. Do you want to talk about that? So that was more of people nominating. So the, both the, nomina- the, nomina- the awards were nominated by somebody else. Somebody would say, we like to nominate you. And it's probably a combination of the employer wanting to showcase the work that we do. And the community that I work with wanting to thank me for, so, so I go out and help a lot of people pro bono. Like I just don't be a people wanting to get into a new role, trying to have, understand if this is the right role for them. Having those conversations, I do a lot of that. People finishing up uni and graduating, I help them. People trying to change a job or even funnily enough, I've helped a lot of startups here set up their data teams, help with their first piece of data work. So when you do a lot of that and I do, I do it not because I'm expecting anything. It's because it's my way of paying it forward. And I hope they would pay it forward to someone else. And mm. sometimes a combination of that says, if you've done this, we don't want to pay you and I don't, I'm not doing it for money. So we probably would like to nominate you for one of these things. So that's typically how it happens. And do you want to talk about it? What was exactly that? Yeah, so, yeah so the award that you're talking about is the um, Institute of Australian Professionals and Institute of Analytics Professional in Australia, IAPA. So nominated as the top 10 uh, winner for 2019, 20 and 21. So that was the oh, all three, is it? Yeah. Or 2019, 2021. That's fantastic. So two things came out here. One is, uh, again, st- apart from just doing the work, we start to think a bit bigger, the pro bono work that you talked about. And I see this consistent pattern in all the successful professionals and entrepreneurs that I interview on this channel. Exactly what you said. You do it with this hope that they will pass it on. And that's the way, uh, the best way to live and create a right environment. So that was fantastic. And then also the community you talk about. So everybody, uh, whatever role we are doing in, there is some or the other industry body related to that. And uh, you just talked about an industry body. Everybody, what do you think about that approach of being part of an industry body? How important it is to uh, be in the right environment and also start to develop some sort of uh, visibility in the marketplace? Yeah. So for example, something like an IAPA, which is the institution of analytical professionals in Australia or the ACS, Australian Computer Society, being a member, even if it's it's a bit expensive, but you can probably get tax rebates and everything else for those who are considering. I think it really gives you exposure into what pe- the other people, you can reach out to them and say, hey, I'm also a member, fellow member. And if you're happy, I'd like to have a chat. And again, just like the other conversation, 20 people are going to say no, one person is going to say yes, and then have a conversation with the one person. So it's if in this day and age, I'm talking about seven, eight years ago when meetups were the thing and everyone was meeting up and conference. Now that COVID's played a, a game on it. So you probably need a different way of meeting people and networking. And these associations are definitely a great way to do that. Good. No, that's fantastic. So what I'm happy about this conversation so far, Sheila, is you just nailed on, uh, you know, very uh, subtly, you uh, shared all the good, all the important part of building it, you know, step by step what you have shared. Hopefully everybody else will be able to pick up, but I'll also write these things in the show notes. 
So coming on to your journey of now being the CD, again, I will go back to the same question of challenge. Uh, when you move from one role to another, and it's kind of stretches you, you know, being an analyst to a manager to a senior manager to being in the leadership team. Is there anything you want to talk about where from manager to getting into a CDO role, if you had any challenges or what do you see as the new learning that you had to go through? So this I'm sure this probably answers a few questions. It's funny when you're given a particular problem to solve, you're given a problem to solve and you are like, just focus on the problem you want to solve it. But when you're given a set of problems to solve, you start realizing that not all the problems need to be solved. There are some problems that don't have to be solved. And so that, that understanding and maturity takes time to you get used to. Sometimes it's good not to solve some things, even if it has value, even if it is great, because it has other ramifications, other impacts. So sometimes when I, in early in my career, I've gone really hard at something. I'm just like, I'll get it done. It's great because you get that adrenaline rush of getting something done. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just not the right approach. It's what you learn as you grow. So that's one. The other thing is sometimes when you in the process of getting stuff done, you just focus on the destination. Just like, I want to get there. That's all I want to care about. I don't care about, say, fighting 100 battles on the side, like breaking relationship. So what you learn is more often than not, the journey is more important than the destination especially when you're running massive pieces of work, a transformation project, for example, that's going to be over two to five years. It's important to get everybody on the journey and the destination can keep changing, but at least people are on the journey with you. But if you just set a destination, just keep going at it continuously, people will just start falling all over and then you will just face, you will never reach a destination because you don't have the support and people will also not be happy. And so it's just not win-win. So what I'm trying to say is the thing that I've learned the most is Focusing on, and everyone says this, people pay lip service to it. Focusing on the people is the most important. People say people are first, but then they focus on profits mm, or product. Mm, mm. I literally mean people are first. And the, at the end of the day, you can deliver amazing pieces of work in such a short piece of time. If everybody's bought into, that's the right thing to do. And focusing on the people. And if the people are not bought in for some reason, instead of forcing them to buy in, finding a way to inspire them to buy into that vision and then get them on the journey. Those are things that you probably need to pick. That's a skill that I never had and I picked up on the journey, not because I magically figured out because I made mistakes. And I, when I retrospectively looked at it, the mistake was I just tried going hard at it and maybe that's not the way to do it and then doing it differently, definitely. So that's, that's probably what I would say. If I understood it right, uh, when you were talking about it, I was visualizing a business or a shop where there are different stakeholders. There is a CEO, there is a, a set of board of directors, and there is a chief of marketing, chief of finance, chief of HR, and so on and so forth. And there is a business team, there's a technology team, there's an infrastructure team, and so on and so forth. Everybody's trying to do their best in their uh, role. And midst of all these things, you're running a transformation program, and everybody has their way of looking at it, as, and plus vested interest also. That's where the political part of it that you need to be aware of. So, you know, have, you know, stepping back and seeing the whole program in totality and looking at all these stakeholders and, you know, trying to understand what is in it for each one of them. And when you have any interaction, if you keep their interest in mind, that's where you start to understand, you know, how to really move forward, where to make changes, where not to solve, where to solve that everything you said. Is that the right, right way of looking at yeah, it? Yeah, that's the right way to think about it. So instead of just saying, this is a problem, this is a solution, that's probably very unidimensional looking at yes. it. Yes. Is the problem a solution, but 
maybe how do you get to the solution is more important than what the solution is is correct yeah. no that was very valuable so in a way you just now share what it takes to be in a leadership role it's not just about solving our problem it's looking at it from in in totality and different dimension as you said it's no more unidimensional so in one word if i can summarize a career growth is you keep adding dimensions in your understanding how you you know as you're growing to the next level and next level and uh, it's not a rocket science and it is a stretch of course because you may have a bent in certain areas and if you are growing into leadership role you have to acknowledging and understanding other dimensions if you can't uh, tolerate certain dimensions hire individuals who can manage that better than you and things like that exactly yeah some people are very inflexible they they like that doesn't make any sense i would never have done it if i was an ex and i'm like yeah maybe but yeah. unfortunately that's not the reality today and so and so trying being willing to be flexible in places that you need to be yeah. so flexibility and adaptability you give very good messages here shri i'm really thankful for that so now coming on to a little bit uh, very quickly on this uh, whole journey of a lot of people who are starting in technology either they are in the early stage or mid stage they want to become chief data officer or chief analytics officer these are kind of similar similar roles right chief analytics officer chief data officer is there any other similar roles that is building up right now now and next 4 5 10 years for so right now these are the two roles eventually yeah. we never know what it will depend yeah. upon so if somebody needs to prepare to get into the leadership role in these areas is there any 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 inputs that you would like to share so i often have my this is my tagline and i use the tagline everywhere yeah focus on the outcomes and not the outputs focus on the outcome not the outputs can you yeah. elaborate that yeah so when you want to be a leader of a function or right especially a, fun, a technical function and be a functional leader if you're continuously going on and on about i do this 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 and this and these are the outcomes these are the outputs i'll deliver this is like no one cares because we work in one of those abstract areas where for example if you have to build a database for example and build a, a machine learning algorithm nobody cares about the algorithm nobody cares about the database people care about if i do all of this customers will have a personalized experience They're like yeah i understand that if i do this you will have more profit i understand that and so talking in a outcome driven approach and also thinking in an outcome driven approach is more important so somebody who is going to put money into your function so for example if i run a pnl of whatever million dollars yeah they're not going to give you more money because you can deliver 20 different deliverables they're going to give you money because you can deliver value from data that they can understand and yeah i will not give you money because you want to create a data lake yeah <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me i'm i'm interested in what do i get as yep. a business outcome no that's that's fantastic so that was very valuable shira a couple of last quick questions uh, from you along the journey um, did you have support of other people like mentors or maybe managers or bosses or any anybody you want to call out name fantastic if not at least you can give the idea of what kind of support you got you know without really putting an effort or did you go out and uh, seek support to continue to grow in your career so i was the underpreneurs really lucky i have had really good bosses through through my ranks so beat my very first boss who would literally sit us down and he would show me and i keep still send him thank you notes and he's like i i don't even remember i did this way but he'd be like this is how you make a powerpoint presentation here you don't have a full stop here see this word doesn't make and you're like wow somebody's trying to take that kind of a time and attention to teach you which when i started managing teams i followed the same approach uh where well, the first mentor i had for example the first exam project that i worked on he said i can literally give you a boring job to do but 
I don't want to do it because it's your first job. Here is some interesting piece of analysis that I had kept for myself. You do it and I'll help you do it. And so having people like that who want to help you and inspire you, that's really good. And through their career, like even my last boss, I still talk to him every day more than I talk to anybody else. I, I He's kind of my mentor. Any decision I make, he although he's no longer my actual boss, I still ask him every single question, every single decision, and he's more than happy to be there. And when you see people like that, you want to be there for other people. And I try to do that. So that's how it's always been. So I've been lucky on that note. But I'm not saying everyone's going to be lucky. When you don't have it, definitely find somebody who you can trust, who you think is somebody who you can look up to and ask them. And I'm sure you can eventually form that connection where you can ask those questions. And how important you feel it's, it is to have somebody who's ahead of you in the journey? It definitely is important because, yes, you can make mistakes and learn through the process. But no. once you made the mistake, you need to understand what the mistake was. You can make mistakes, but understanding why it was a mistake, you need somebody to explain it to you. Uh, and so somebody only who's been in that position who will let you make that mistake and say, you made that mistake, right? It's because of this. So that the whole lesson that I learned that the journey is more important than the destination. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host, Ehsan Ali. Hope you got some inspiration and strategies on taking right steps in growing yourself into a thought leader rather than be stuck as a doer uh, all your career. I loved Shira's career journey, learned a lot. Uh, I had not looked at a pre-sales role the way I see it after uh, talking to Shira. I also admire him for growing himself into leadership role in Australia, starting almost all over again when he moved uh, here from India. Uh, let me know what you learned from Shira's career journey. And uh, if you're someone going through a career challenge or wanting to advance your career, don't forget to attend one of my free workshops. Uh, the link is in my LinkedIn profile. And if you're in urgent need, send me a direct message on LinkedIn. Uh, that's all for now until uh, next week.